Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all of our viewers and assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to my guest today, Sheikh Abdullah Ayaz Mulani. How are you, Sheikh? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I'm doing well, alhamdulillah. I'm glad to be here and uh, having a good time. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So, alhamdulillah, we have Sheikh Abdullah Ayaz. He's from the GTA, um, as a few of my guests have recently been. Um, I recently had on Brother Bilal. Um, you know him. Which Brother Bilal? Bilal Hafiz. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, so I had on Brother Bilal. It was a great time. He's a great brother, mashallah. Um, so I've been I've been corresponding with the Sheikh for some time now, uh, trying to get him on the podcast. But, you know, alhamdulillah, he stays busy doing a lot of good work. He just released a new book yesterday. Um, I'd yes. like to mention that, a book on surf. And what's it called? I think it's the second book, right? It's the second book on surf, um, which I actually have right here. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but it's right here. Hey, um, nothing wrong with that. It's book two of three. And two uh, of three. we have three surf books and one Nahua book. And what we decided is we decided to, because we teach our own Arabic classes and none of the other books in the market were really working what we were looking for. So we made our own. And I'm really surprised to see because the, the, the intention of publishing it mm-hmm. was just because we have students from all over the world. So mm. we figured our students can get access to the books. But yeah. I was really surprised to see how many people um, who are not our students who were able to benefit from this. And alhamdulillah, I'm really, really excited with the second copy out because um, a lot of people put in good work there, you know, because I'm not good at formatting. And, you know, my wife helped me write it. I was with, with me in this as well. Uh, we had Sheikh Arabia Ghasmi with it as well. So it was a great project, and, and I think it's a great book. And I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing what people have to say when they actually have their copies in Java. I saw it. It's available on Amazon. So yes. very, very easily purchasable. Um, we actually, with some of our friends, we actually do some uh, book and journal publishing work we just started. Um, it's called Falcon Notes. And we actually okay. were coming up with a book. It's It's for some adults and children. It's called the Muslim Daily Tracker. It's supposed to be for people to help keep track and make sure that they're praying the Salah on time. People are struggling. so. And it's it's like a book or is there an... It's, it's a small... I don't have it with me. It's in the other room. But it's like a small journal. It's like this big. So you can put it in your pocket. And yeah. and it's it's very basic. But it's it's amazing you guys are doing making these books. and you, They're fairly affordable. They're not expensive at all. Yeah. Um, so what's it called? You know, first thing I'd like to tell you is, inshallah, I'd like if you guys do you guys ever have students who need the books and can't afford them? I know they're um, affordable. We don't have students who can't afford the books. We normally have students who can't afford the classes, and then we have a student fund where okay. people can donate to it. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure if we have people who can't afford the books. We, okay, we okay. So how much how much is the class? The classes are a hundred dollars a month. Hundred dollars. Okay, inshallah. Inshallah, I'll talk with you afterwards. Inshallah, we'll talk about some sponsorships or something. That's um, wonderful. So, Sheikh, today we were gonna we changed the topic a little bit. I did change the art and stuff like that. We were we changed it to a more positive tone. Why do people do bad things? Yeah, and very and, positive. Uh, why do people do bad things? You know, just why do people? Why do, why are people evil? Such a positive topic. Uh, <laughs> well, we, took, we took out the good, so it doesn't yeah. sound as bad anymore. <laughs> Uh, but what's it called Uh, so the thing about it is you know a lot of times like I had a few discussions with some of my friends yesterday and we were talking about the actual topic and they were they started immediately answering I was like no no I need some questions for the topic I don't need you guys to answer it I was like I have a inshallah I have a sheikh tomorrow who's going to be answering it Um, but the idea is that a lot of times we go into judgment that who is good who is bad what is good what is bad 
rather than getting into the whole judgment aspect of it, um, you wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, looking at, from, looking at it from, I guess, a third person perspective of looking at yourself. Yeah. And, you know, the harms of thinking of ourselves as good people or bad people with, you know, a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And anybody who comes from some sort of a financial background will know, you know, sort of like variable cost and fixed cost, you know, they, they keep changing dependent on the inputs and outputs. So would you like to shed some light for us about that? So see, that's the thing, right? Like, I feel like a lot of times thinking of ourselves as good people or bad people can be very harmful. Um, instead, I think what we need to think of ourselves as neutral people with a lot of good or bad in our account. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, like, for example, psychologically speaking, uh, and by the way, my, my bachelor's at the moment is in psychology. Um, but psychologically speaking, they, they'll tell you something like, don't tell your child that they're smart. So if your child gets an A plus on a test, don't tell the child that they're smart. Instead, tell them that they are hardworking. Because a child who thinks that he or she is smart, um, they'll think that's like an innate uh, thing about themselves. So even if, um, let's say they get an A plus, they'll think, okay, I'm really smart. And then the next test, they don't feel like they have to work hard because they're already smart. And, and if they fail the test, they'll have more of like a um, character, you know, they'll have more like a moral crisis. Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm a, does that mean I'm not smart anymore? As opposed to a child who's been told that they're hardworking, they've done experiments in which they found that a child who's been told that they're hardworking, they let's say they fail the next test or they find it very difficult or whatever, they, they're more resilient because they have a growth mindset. If they're failing or they're feeling, finding challenges, they'll just feel like I have to work harder to overcome those challenges. And that same thing comes with our dean. I feel like a lot of us feel like we're good. And, and I think that's one of the biggest detriments of being called a sheikh or I'm sure you get called a hafiz. And the problem with that is, once you start thinking of yourself as, oh, I'm a sheikh, um, what happens is, let's say you do something wrong, you'll either justify the wrong that you're doing because you're like, oh, I'm a sheikh. I can't be the one doing this. Or you would have then a identity crisis because you're like, oh, well, I'm not, this is, what am I? Kind of thing. And the second thing is, I, I also don't think we should, think of ourselves as a bad person to the point where we're hopeless of being good. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, I think a lot of people tend to think of themselves as such horrible people that Allah could never forgive them and that they have no hope for themselves in the future. Like I said, I think we should think of ourselves as neutral people. When I say neutral, I mean we all have the ability this innate ability that God has made within us that we're able to connect with Allah. No one, Allah is not biased against any of us. Um, but we might have a lot of good on our account that we have to protect with making sincere intentions and protecting it from uh, showing off and uh, riya. And we might have a lot of bad in our account that we have to wash off. It's like, Imagine a person who has a lot of loans on his account. They will work even harder to pay off those loans. But this cannot be something that we ascribe to ourselves as innately like we're doomed to be good or bad. And, and I think that's important to have.
Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. That was a very good uh, kickoff and a very good explanation on that. What's it called? That part of it. So we wanted to discuss, you know, the social powers that lead people into bad. And one of the things I was having some discussions over the past few days with people because of the topic, and you also brought it up, was uh, the dependency on the willpower and how the willpower at the nighttime, it becomes weaker. And we, we tend to, you know, cheat on the good or, you know, try get involved in in sins such as zina such as gambling drinking you know things like this at the night yeah. and uh so a lot of times what happens is people you know maybe they lose sight or they don't think as hard that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching me why does this occur so you see the thing is i think a lot of us in the west especially those of us live in canada america we tend to over um emphasize our ability to have willpower you know so it's like yeah you know i can be in that situation but i'm not like everybody else i'm not gonna be the one to do it you know so i think a lot of us we flirt with that line where we really depend on our willpower to protect us from sin and, and for a long time we, we might even be able to stay away from the sin but because we are consistently flirting with that line it's very very likely that we'll have a bad day and we will um, fall into it. And psychologically speaking, willpower is known to be very, very over overrated. Recently, um, I'm reading books on the topic, and I've read quite a few books on the topic. Um, like some, some that I'll mention is Willpower by John Tierney and someone else. And uh, I'm currently reading The Lucifer Effect by Philip Zimbardo. And we'll talk about Zimbardo a little bit too. Are people okay with the Sheikh reading a book which has Lucifer in the title? I have no idea. I mean, that's <laughs> up to them. But the book is not about Lucifer, by the way. But but the idea is like, you know, even in Islam, like let's say when it comes to adultery, zina, right? Allah Almighty didn't just tell us, okay, don't have uh, extramarital sex, you know, which many other religions, I don't know what their scriptures say, but they that seems to be like what people are telling their kids, like, oh, don't have extramarital sex, but you can do whatever else you want. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, don't even get into the situational factors, you know. Um, and, and the first factor that I want to talk about is that people are over depending on willpower and they're putting themselves in a situation that we should not be doing, right? So Allah told us, La zina. don't even go close to extramarital sex, you know. Um, the Prophet told us, Allah, by the way, the word Allah comes in a lot of a hadith. Do you know what the word Allah means? No, Sheikh. Go ahead. The word Allah means like, listen, right? Like I, if I didn't want to, if, if I wasn't afraid to pop the ears of your listeners, I would have been like, you know, I would have screamed. But listen, the, the word Allah means like, hey, listen up. Something important uh, is being said. So, Allah, la yakhluwanna rajulun bimra'atin illa kana thalithuhuma shaytan that whenever a non-mahram male and female are alone with each other, the third one is shaitan. So we see that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he acknowledged situational factors, that you put yourself in that situation, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm a, a good person, I'm, I'm a pious person, I'm not going to do anything. We should not be putting ourselves in that situation in the first place. Um, we see this happening 
with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanding the wives of the Prophet as well, that you know, don't use the soft and flirty tone because someone who might have, well, not flirty, but 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 if a person wants to use that tone, it might put the wrong ideas in the other person's mind. So the idea is we need to stop relying on willpower and we need to put in steps for ourselves and for other people um, who are who, who um, perhaps are our dependents, like our family members, our children, our students, uh, our friends. We need to remind each other that situational factors are way stronger than our willpower is a lot of the times, and we should not test ourselves. Instead, we should think about what are the ways we can limit um, the, the, the challenges that we have on our willpower. And, okay. and, and I'm glad you mentioned that the night thing, right? Like that's I read this in the book, um, Willpower by John Tierney and some, there's other authors too, but I know he's one of the authors where they talked about that most of the people who cheat, they cheat at night. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, your willpower gets depleted throughout the day. And when you're more tired, you're more likely to, um, you're more likely to uh, over, you know, to, to submit to your desires and, and have less willpower. And that's why you'll see that a lot of people who cheat on their spouses are more overworked stuff like that it's not an excuse by the way i do want to mention the disclaimer we're going to be talking about a lot of situational factors none of these are being cited as excuses for what people are doing none of us should be making excuses rather we're mentioning these things so people can keep them in mind and and limit these situational factors so we have a better chance at fighting our desires inshallah Inshallah. Actually, we uh, last year I did a podcast episode with uh, Sheikh Akil from Barbados, and we oh, spoke about oh, adultery. He's a friend. Yeah. So what's it called? So we spoke about adultery, and you know, we spoke about some of the aspects of it where people they they discount the fact that they're doing something wrong, and and I feel like you know, obviously, it plays into the fact by the nighttime you're like, you know what, it's okay. You know, I'm not doing something really that bad. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Uh, are you wanting to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's elaborate on this, right? So the idea here is avoiding responsibility. This is uh, another factor that I think is very problematic. Um, and there's a lot of research on this. Like, for example, we see on Twitter, and I'm sure you see this and I see this on Muslim Twitter, people who have anonymous accounts, what do you think, right? It's like anonymity um, it allows a person to not take responsibility for the actions um, that they're doing. And they've done research regarding cultures of the past, which wore war paint. So it's almost as if when you're wearing war paint, you're losing yourself in that character mm. and cultures that don't wear war paint. And uh, in the book, The Lucifer Effect, Zimardo writes, 90% of the time, when victims of battle were killed, tortured, or mutilated, it was by warriors who had first changed their appearance and de-individuated themselves, right? So, so, so when you lose yourself in, in your avatar and you become anonymous, that is when you're more likely to do things that you would not normally do when you were yourself because you can give the responsibility to that persona of yourself. And that's why you see that in the army, you know, you have these uniforms because you have your uniform self and you have your civilian self. 
and your the things that are okay for you to do when you are out at war are not okay for you to do when you are your civilian servant. So within anonymity, you know, we also have now modes of fighting that um, allow a person. So, so once again, the first factor that you mentioned was over-reliance on willpower. And the second factor that we're mentioning is uh, the ability to deny accountability or, or to deny responsibility of the thing that we're doing. We see this um, in um, the ways that we have developed to kill people now, unfortunately. You think the people who drop bombs and kill thousands of people if they were given a sword and told to go individually and kill each and every single person directly, they would have the ability or the heart to do that versus uh, having this, you know, this uh, distance between themselves and the actual murders by clicking a button and dropping a bomb. So that distance allows them um, some, some room to to not take as much responsibility. So, so the second thing is justifying our wrongs and not taking the responsibility ourselves. And we see that this was the quality of shaitan where when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him that why did you not make sajda to Adam salam? He did not take responsibility for it. He justified the wrongs that he did. And if a person can and is justifying their wrong, they're more likely to do more wrong things. Like for example, one thing that they are able to do in the armies is that they're able to blame it on their superior officers. And that's actually the way that they're trained. In the army, you're trained never to disagree with your superior officers. And the reason for that is that, okay, if you're not disagreeing in the small things that they're telling you to do, they're telling you to stand up, you stand up, they're telling you to sit down, you sit down. Then when they tell you to do something horrible, you can be like, hey, I, it was not a decision that I made. It was something that they decided. So they're responsible. I am not the one who is responsible. And a really glaring um, view of that we saw in the Milgram experiment. Are you familiar with the Milgram experiment? I am not. I saw that in your notes and I was like, I'm not going to look it up. I want to actually hear from you what it is. So the Milgram experiment is a really important experiment. What they did is they called people in into a fake experiment and they told them that they were going to be seeing the effects of um, shock like electric shocks on the ability for a person to learn so let's say some guy named bob comes in and bob is being put in a room with another person but the other person is an actor they're mm -hmm. working with the experimenters i've heard of this i've heard of this now so i know heard of this exactly yeah, yeah. so Bob and the actor, you know, they draw lots to see who's going to be the student and who's going to be the learner. And, you know, it's shown like it's random, but every time the person being experimented on ends up being the teacher. Mm. And the actor goes in the other room and is, the, the experimenter is told that um, they have the ability to shock the actor every time they get a question wrong. Mm -hmm. And after getting each question wrong they're supposed to increase the level of shock and they have kept a man in a lab coat that whenever the person is hesitant the person in a lab coat tells them to shock the the learner and what they saw is 
that most people were willing to shock the learner above the amounts that a human being can survive just because a man in a lab coat was like, no, no, keep going. You have to keep going. So we see that when we're able to deny responsibility and we can put the responsibility on the people above us in this scenario, the experimenter, people can do horrible things because they think it's someone else's responsibility. You and I, we tend to think that if we were alive in these horrible periods, like the period of Hitler and all that, that we would be brave and we would be like, hell no, I will not obey. But chances are most of us would fall uh, in order just because we'd be like, oh, we trust the people above us. And then what's really interesting is the bystander effect. Tell me this, Brother Asad, or Hafiz Asad, right? It's like, let's say you get hurt and you need help. Let's say you you you're 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 choking on something and you're dying. Do you do you think you'll be you're more likely to get help if you're dying in a busy street where there's thousands of people walking, or if you're dying in a lonely street where there's two people walking? I I think knowing from experience, probably in the lonely street. Exactly in the lonely street, which is surprising because you think in the thousands of people, someone would be willing to help right yeah but it actually is the other way around if you are in a street where there are a lot of people walking around every single person can deny responsibility they can be like if this person really was in trouble someone else would have helped them by now or whatever um but if there's only two people on the street they feel the responsibility and they feel like i have to help or this person's gonna die and, and they've done experiments like this, you know, like recently I tweeted out this experiment where, well, I don't know if you want to call it an experiment or a quasi-experiment, but um, they took cameras and they, 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 abducted, they abducted a child in a busy street versus, you know, and, and, and they saw that peop- most people do not stop the abduction because they feel like there's all these people, if something was actually happening, you know, someone else would have stopped them. So they just defer it to somebody else, like somebody else can take care of it. Exactly. And that's why we see and we advise people, let's say you face Islamophobia, right? And someone is abusing you. And a lot of times we see videos of people being abused in cases of Islamophobia and no one's doing anything. Hmm. And and the way to go beyond that is um, instead of asking for help help call the cops you say hey you in the red shirt call the cops Hmm. so now you're taking away that person in the red shirt's illusion that someone else should do something then they're making a personal decision either to engage or not engage you know you're taking away that that illusion that they have and we even see this um i know there's a youtube channel called uh I forget what it's called, but but what the what the person on the channel did is they did they realized that and I start kind of do this as well now, like let's say someone's trolling me on, on Twitter or whatever, in my response I'll be like, alaikum, brother," and I'll tr- I'll mention their name, right? So it's like we're not just two pixels on a screen; we're human beings yeah. talking to each other, and the idea is that you're supposed to get a different response 
when you remind them that, hey, you're a human being, you're not just a, you know, a voice, uh, type, you're not just typing to yourself. Kind not of just thing. a keyboard warrior, just, you know, fighting with me over the keyboard. Exactly. So you want to remove the anonymity and you want everyone, uh, you want, we want ourselves to feel the responsibility of being ourselves. You see, they've done experiments where people are doing tests when uh, they're in front of a mirror. And when people are in front of a mirror, they tend to cheat less than when there's no mirror there, even though a mirror doesn't have anything to do with the scenario, right? They see that people, doctors, when they're wearing a lab coat uh, or scientists, when they're wearing a lab coat, they're more ethical uh, in a scientific scenario than people who are not wearing a lab coat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it, it really is about reminding ourselves, hey, I am Abdullah. I should not like being anonymous. And that's why like online, I've realized I have to put my name. It causes a lot of tr problems. Yeah. It makes me a better person, I feel. And yeah. it, it's important, I think, for us all not to be able to deny um, responsibility for what we're doing. I, I think like recently what's been happening a lot is, you know, at sporting events, they have the camera and they're panning the camera around. What happens is somebody is cheating with their spouse, clearly. Yeah. And they get caught and all of a sudden either the guy turns around or either he walks away and you know there's obviously in all sorts of things there's good and bad um now obviously right now there's really a push for the metaverse and i don't know how our people as muslims muslim twitter muslim people are going to take it because the metaverse is going to add a level yeah and a whole different level of anonymity where people are going to be living in these worlds and interacting with people and and there was actually a movie i, I saw it some time ago it was uh, ready player one and okay. and the whole idea was you know they live in this different dystopian society where everybody's living off of ready player one the game and you you're even making money on it and so this guy he falls in love with this girl but he doesn't even know who she is exactly and and you know all these things are happening so you know taking into account the metaverse what do you think about that level of anonymity Honestly, like I, I don't want to be anti-technology, yeah. but, but I think I of all people should be very pro-technology because, you know, I run an online institute and I'm on social media, but I think I see the harms of it more than anybody else too in my personal life. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think um, really, like, like I've been reading a lot on, on this, like really in order for us to build meaningful relationships whether that is within a marriage or within a friendship or even with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overindulgence in social media um, and, and getting used to these fake relationships and fake likes and quantifying our social interactions really is harmful. Um, some good books on this are um, Reclaiming Conversation, I think by Sherry Turkle um or you know even like sexual intimacy people have written books on this where they're like hey you know it, it messes you up and even like i said I, I feel like the more engrossed i get on social media the less i can focus in salah mm. and and vice versa like you need that quiet like we, we we can't get addicted to um always getting the dopamine boost because real conversations require silence require boredom require tough uh communication and and when we start um and, and this is also what creates addiction right when we stop 
connecting with wholesome things like people and Allah and ourselves, and we start connecting with devices and things, um, it creates addiction and, and, and can be very bad. So yeah. I'm definitely concerned about the metaverse, but um, I, 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 I don't want to just be anti-technology for the sake of being anti-technology. I just, I, I do feel like it's going to be harmful and may Allah protect us. So, so Mufti Tariq Masood Saab from Karachi, um, they were asking him about uh, the ulama's use of YouTube. And, uh, you know, he was like, he's like, I was one of the first advocates for using it as a younger alim at that time. He's like, and there was a lot of pushback that we shouldn't. He's like, now we're pushing into it. And he's like, we're pushing really, really hard because we're behind. So, do you do you think and I, I'm not asking a masla, uh, what's it called? I'm asking, do you think that you know sometimes taking certain technology ahead of time or by the reins at the beginning would help us so we don't have to overindulge in it to try to make up for whatever we've lost out on? Or I, I think work? I think it's it's always a difficult um, balance, right? Like okay. for for example, I run an online institute, okay, yeah. and, and and I know there's a lot of like for example this video, right? But at the same time, do we feel like people getting the fake, or not fake, but it's like these options should be there, yeah. but people still need to pursue what's real. Yeah. And this is supplement. But a lot of times what happens is people rely on the supplement and they never pursue what's real. And, and what we try to do is we try to find that and i think everyone needs to do this we need to find that ground where um we're getting as much comfort as possible without uh sacrificing what's important and when it comes to let's say online classes because that's what i'm passionate about and you know i run an institute for that reason like for example what we've decided to do and we lose thousands of dollars a month doing this is for we don't have pre-recorded classes i do not believe in pre-recorded classes because I feel like you need to have an interaction in the class. Yeah. And then we see a lot of live institutes, they have, let's say, 200, 150 people in a class. For us, for let's say our Arabic classes, we don't have more than 10 students in a class. Wow. Quran classes are one on one. Many really? of our classes have, and remember, we start with 10 in Arabic. It becomes less as we go along. Mm. And many times there's four, there's three, there's, there's six. You know, but we can have an interaction, a human interaction, even if it's online. And for me, that's like, okay, it's convenient enough that people can take it, but it's, we're still not sacrificing the fact that there's a conversation, there's a give and take, there's a teacher-student interaction. Um, and I feel like finding that sweet spot is different, but it should be yearned for when using technology is when do you start now cutting quality for the convenience? Like for example, uh, someone had approached me to open an institute, online institute with pre-recorded classes for children. Okay. And I don't believe in like online classes for children. Mm -hmm. I do not. Uh, and the reason for that is I feel like children definitely need an environment. They benefit as much or more from the environment than they do from the knowledge or the information itself. So even if you can make an online platform where they're getting the information and it's a-okay and it's great, it's it should not be replacing uh, in-person classes for children, and that's why in our institute we don't take children with people less than sixteen year old, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's what I'm saying. I think all of us need to ask ourselves where, like, we do need to pursue technology, but we need to find that sweet spot where the benefits of technology remain, mm 
without it harming the quality of the things that we're pursuing. And, and that's, I don't want to give specifics because I think every single person will come to a different conclusion yeah. with it. But uh, as, a, as, as a guiding principle, that's what I'm hoping to achieve in Chalwa. Yeah. So, so wearing back to the topic, one of the things, um, using a you know a segue, one of the things which I grew up with, even here in a small town in America, was maktab. We used to have yeah. maktab five days a week. Um, my dad used to teach it. He's not a hafiz alim, but you know we didn't have opportunity to have a teacher, so whatever. Um, he was giving his best, and yeah. that's what called. And I saw the kids who grew up over here who did attend maktab five days a week. Um, they still mm. come to the masjid. They still have a connection. Now the kids who are solely online, I know a lot of people have. If you live in out in the countryside and there's no opportunities, that's different. But if you live in a city and you're just not, you know, trying to go to the masjid and put your kids in front of the online teacher like it's a TV or something, um, the harms I've seen happen is because they don't have the environment. And when you don't have the environment, when you get out into the real world, it's so much easier to get involved and indulge in the bad. Like one time I was interacting with a person um, who works in IT and they asked me a question. They're like, well, how come we don't go to the bar and club? And his, his add on to the question was, there's good people at the bar and the club. And I was like, how do you justify that? How do you quantify that? He's like, oh, well, they're really nice. I'm like, you do realize they're drunk. And he's like, well, I don't go there to drink. I just go there to play pool or ping pong and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like, that still doesn't justify going to a bar and a club. Well, here's the thing, right? I remember yeah. my friends for the first time they went to the club, right? Yeah. And I'm like, they're like, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to see uh, what's happening there. We're not drinking. We're not dancing. We're just going to see. And they went for the first time. And it's true. They never drank. They didn't do anything. They went and they came back. Obviously. That in itself has many sins involved, but but, but let's yeah. let's let's just overlook that. Yeah. And then eventually they all drank and they all did everything. It, it, and, and I guess that's a segue into the in the third factor that we want to talk about, which is the environment, right? We don't realize how important our environment is to us. Um, you know, they've done studies where they made people judge, they made people watch videos of court cases and then give a verdict to the criminal. And what they found is people who, um, it, in some of the rooms, they've put like um, dirty garbage in the corner of the room. And what they found is people who are in rooms with dirty garbage, um, they give harsher verdicts than people who are not in such rooms. You know? Is that? Because your environment affects you. Like that? That much? That much? I didn't even think of that ever. Even like when it comes to you, but I mean, this is a little bit different, but you, you do know, like, depending on how hungry the judge is, like the, the rulings become harsher and harsher, like oh, throughout God. the day, they can quantify it by time. Like depending <laughs> on what time you go in front of the judge, your rulings become harsher and harsher. So either you want to go in right after breakfast or right after lunch. I mean, there's a sweet spot. I, I've read it in some books. I don't remember which one, but <laughs> there, there's definitely like, a sweet spot where you need to get you know okay now the environment is very important you know the prophet he talks about certain qualities that people who have camels have versus people who have sheep have yeah you know we're not even talking about now a human environment we're talking about animals so we can just imagine how much of an effect do um does our 
human company have on us. And they've seen this in so many places. Like, for example, you know, we see videos of moms, right? And we see things happening that it's just unfathomable how a person can do this. But when everybody else around us is doing something, and when it goes back to the first topic where you can deny responsibility because you're not doing it as an individual, you're doing it as a mob, mm -hmm. um, people can do horrible things. There was a parade, and I don't want to mention which parade because I know people are going to look it up, and the videos of it are absolutely like pornographic. Yeah. Because there was a parade where men just started, and it's in the United States. It's not like a third world country. Yeah. Where men just started... Um, sexually abusing all the women there so they made like a line and any woman that passed was being sexually assaulted and you're seeing hundreds of men doing this in the united states in public being recorded but because everybody's doing it it's it's like you can deny your responsibility in it and yeah. and that environment factor is so important because another thing is the roles that we all put on ourselves, right? And the social norms that we are part of are also very, very important. And I guess we can go now to talking about Philip Zimbardo, the book that I'm reading. Uh, have you heard of Zimbardo, by the way, like the Stanford prison experiment? Mm, I, you, you probably have to mention it. Okay, so, so the Stanford prison experiment is really interesting. What they did is, and this is like the 1980s when the rules for experiments were a little bit, you know, less strict. They they asked for i think 20 volunteers and they split okay. them randomly into um prisoners and and uh you know guards hmm. and and what they found is just because they were given randomly the role of a guard and the role of a prisoner within a few days they had to shut the experiment down because of the kind of things that the guards were doing to the prisoners hmm. so because Number one, the environment became that, such a way. And number two, it became the norm and the roles. So, so the, the people actually believed that they were guards. And this was like within a few days, I think it was eight days or something, where people were completely brainwashed into their role, um, where they ended up doing horrible things. And that's why Philip Zimbardo is so famous, because he was the experimenter there. And he takes it from his experiment, and then he compares it to other places like Abu Ghraib prison, where US soldiers were doing stuff like that. Mm. So we all also um, tend to find our norms in our culture, right? And and we look at other cultures and they do weird things and we're like, oh, wow, that's so weird. I would never do that. But there's so many weird things that exist within our culture, like like plastic surgery, you yeah. know, like, like, like that other cultures will look at and it's like, it's unfathomable how this is happening, but it's the norm within our culture, you know? So it's it's really, like, like for example, right now I'm reading a book, and I, I don't know if I wanna mention the name of the book, even though I mentioned it elsewhere many times, <laughs> because it's written by a Christian, and I feel like maybe there are parts that an average person might not be able to differentiate. Yeah, yeah. But the book is a wonderful book, and it's helping me understand how much harm that growing up in an environment of materialism and naturalism has done to my brain. Because a lot of the questions that we get about evolution and science and, and Islam and atheism and all that, 
the only reason why they, these questions are even plausible because we don't uh, because we are growing up in an environment where naturalism and materialism is the norm right yeah so 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 it's it's really um harmful for us and we need to do our best to find ourselves good company and good environments you know uh another thing i guess and this is the last thing i'm going to mention alhamdulillah you know in our days we've had time to convert quite a few people not quite yeah. a few but a few people alhamdulillah and recently i found out that half of them are not muslim anymore yeah and that was really heavy on me mm -hmm. but my initial theory was that if you educate a person properly they will stay muslim yeah and we gave them um so many um we we gave them so much education like we did i don't know if you know the book ascent to felicity um so we did actually with, with one of them we did like detailed courses we did a basic muslim course and we did a detailed aqidah detailed fiqh course and then the the, the student became non-muslim and now I'm realizing that the people who are able to find Muslim communities and Muslim mm -hmm. families and Muslim environments, they were able to save their faith. And yeah. the people who were not, even if they had um, better education, much, much better Islamic education, they still left Islam. So mm -hmm. I, I really think the environment is something that we as a society tend to downplay and we overemphasize our individual perfectness and beautifulness and piousness. And we're just so good people. I would never do something bad. And we need to face our inner Mr. Hyde. We need to face our inner bad person. And, and we need to understand that none of us is a good person. We're all full of garbage. You're full of garbage. I'm full of garbage. And if I get the opportunity, I will do the bad thing. So the, the struggle needs to be um, the struggle needs to be in stopping ourselves from finding the opportunity in the first place. And that's where I think we should conclude on my end. Um, yeah. we, we can take questions from you, questions from the public. Okay. Someone on Twitter did say that they asked a question and I don't see their question here. I, I didn't I, there was one question asked on Twitter and I think it got it got flagged because it was a it was a question relating to what's it called imp how do I put it? I think important. it's a debauchery in public. Well, yeah. Can you say that one more time? The acting like acting like complete haiwan in public, like you know, raping right. people and stuff like that. I think it was related to that. Okay. Well, what's the question about it? I couldn't see it because it got flagged. Oh. They let me see it for one second, then it did a poll, and most of the people they clicked, not sure whether it's a good question or not. So I couldn't see the question after that. Interesting. Okay, well, if anyone has any questions now, we can take it. If not, I don't like dragging on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you have any questions, you can go ahead as well. Yeah, yeah. So what's it called? Well, one thing I was going to ask was in relation to the environment for people who become Muslim. Actually, this past Thursday, I did a podcast with the with the imam. He's actually himself somebody who converted to Islam. And uh, we were talking about environmental factors and how a lot of times, you know, obviously family plays a big part into it. That... Uh, if they have the family doesn't become Muslim and they don't help them out, that's one thing. So we have to we have to supplement that as a community. And one thing I used to do in my community, what's it called? I did imamat in our community voluntarily for like 12, 13 years. Um, I would whoever would become Muslim, I would have their phone number and I would try to make one phone call a month to keep up with them at least. That's what and, I'm 
Um, so, you know, obviously it became harder over time. There's more and more people becoming Muslim. But I think one thing which we have to do, we have to learn from the Sahaba, how they used to build a community for people. Obviously, they were a little bit more homogeneous than us, you know, coming from the similar background and stuff. But we need to create that sort of like... I don't think it's just being homogeneous. I feel like physical proximity is a huge thing. But another thing is like, like you know, like it's also a culture. I feel like... Yeah. Uh, in North America, we're very closed off. Like even like our extended family members, we barely see them. Yeah. Right. But when it comes to like in that society, like people will come in, people will go out. Like like the community would raise their children. Like you know, like it was just like everybody was like one big community. Yeah. And and and, and even like like for example, for women to be at home was, was a lot easier too because you know people would just be coming in and out, and you would have a lot of like. Uh, interactions happening uh, in that regard. So, so I feel like it, it 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 is something that we have to overcome, where we've become really closed off within our family unit, yeah, and we yeah. need to open our own doors and our hearts to the bigger community and change that environment. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like one of the things that a lot of people become Muslim struggle with is when they do become Muslim, they're not able to find community because they're coming from maybe a very different background, and you know maybe. We, we need to try harder to make them feel more comfortable and not try to change them as much. Let I, them, I hear you, yeah. Yeah, let them grow into it. And uh, and I've seen in our community, especially in the United States, where people, when somebody becomes Muslim, they hand them a stack of books and they're like, here, study these, and then start coming to the masjid. Instead of, you know, letting them grow into Islam, they're just like, okay, here are the books, you do it on your own. I mean, it's really hard because I feel like we also have to remember that in the United States and Canada, we're an immigrant community, right? Yeah. And like any immigrant, like like I, I guess you're catching me on a bad day because I'm realizing that I think at least online people are are thinking like masjids have all this money and finances and and resources, and and I feel like a lot of masjids at least in Canada are just broke, trying their best, yeah, you know, with immigrant uncles who yeah. don't really know, like 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 they, like you know like they're just trying their best. Yeah, no, without a doubt. By the way, I'm all for masjid, like criticism i i know there's so many things that could be improved i'm on board with that but i feel like there's a little bit of a a, a sense of like uh the masjid just needs to have all these resources which are just not logistically possible but i do think that conversations need to happen on what could we do instead and i think you're right like having a community of people is really important so I don't know. How would you solve that? You, you, you so, tell me. So one of the things which, you know, obviously it's very hard as volunteer, voluntarily doing it. It's not easy. So I shared a story the other day with the mom. Chasing volunteer is also not easy. Yeah, being a volunteer is not easy. So what's... <laughs> So uh, I was talking with Imam Yahya, Imam John, as he, you know, he calls himself to the greater community. We were talking about that. And uh, one of the things I told him was a story about one time a guy, he had already accepted Islam on his own and he came into the masjid. And, uh, you know, we were walking him through. We've been teaching him for many years. Um, everything slowly, slowly. And he comes in and we give him five to ten minutes a day. You know, that's what we, you know, we give him. And he studies on his own and stuff like that. So while we were sitting, there was an uncle there, an older older Pakistani uncle. And uh, he's like, he starts telling him about, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, you did a Twitter space and it was a similar discussion. Um, he starts talking about the Kaaba and how pigeons fly over it. It's uh, on the sides of it. They don't fly over it. And this guy's like lost. Afterwards, we asked him, like, did you, we, we didn't want you to have to 
try to understand that, but did you understand what he's saying? He's like, I had no idea what he was talking about. He was talking about some cube and a pigeon flying over it. And uh, and I understand the heart is there, and I'm not trying to uh, criticize Mataji or anything like that. Um, actually, next week, we're supposed to have a podcast episode with one of my friends, and we're talking about the difficulties of being an imam. So... <laughs> So, it's a, <laughs> so um, the masjid politics is going to come into that. Um, for sure. For sure. There, there's a nice comment for you. Um, it says you look like uh, Maulana Tariq Jamil Sahib. I get that so much, and I don't understand that. Like, I went to Pakistan, and I got that. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> sure, I mean, that's a huge compliment. Maulana Tariq Jamil, actually, when I met him in person, I realized he's really good looking. Like, he's not... Mashallah. I, I don't know. I think on video, he doesn't look as good looking as he is in real life. He's actually really oh. good looking, mashallah. So oh, I'll definitely take the compliment. Thank you very much. I just don't see it. Uh, so, so so going back to the thing where it's really hard to build an environment. And I, I've had many people, you know, who've contacted me who became Muslim. And I tell them, look, don't become Muslim. Obviously, our dean teaches us don't become Muslim for somebody, like for a relationship or anything like that. Yeah. But once, what ends up happening is there is a relationship behind it. And they eventually can't stay on the dean because the person they're pursuing a relationship with, they're not they're not practicing, not trying to call anybody out. They're not practicing and they're not taking this person to the environment. So eventually they regress back to their old ways, um, whatever way they were. Um, and and, you know, the thing about it is trying to integrate. And it's not always easy in our communities. Like you said, immigrant communities trying to integrate. It's not easy because we expect if there's a Pakistani community, we expect people to start acting, eating biryani once they become Muslim and stuff like that. I know. And I think Brother Robert on Twitter, he's he's probably the very vocal on this. He's Robert like, of Canada. Yeah, exactly. He's very vocal on this. He's like, you know, uh, his whole thing is that reverts need their own spaces and stuff like that, which might be a valid argument um, in that regard. I, I, I also feel like, like, I, I think what we can do with the Bob Academy or something, right? And, and and I agree with you, physical spaces are really important. But for many people who are remote, um, I don't know. I actually don't know. And, and that's why I started taking phone calls. I feel like that at least helps me. Yeah. Because I think there's so many people who have all these, because I, I also think one of the, 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 the jaws of our time is internet Islam, yeah. which is, uh, you know, just, just black and white Islam. It's like, it's yeah. either this or it's that. And in reality, you know, when you're working with people who have experience with the knowledge and our teachers and our seniors, um, you get to see how that Islam is implemented in real life and working with reverts, by the way, takes a lot of patience as well, because yeah. they still have ideas and, and uh, practices from different beliefs. And and it, a lot of times it takes a lot of hikmah uh, to work with, with people at that level. But I feel like online there's no hikmah and it's all like, oh, either you're a kafir or you're a saint and and there's no middle. <laughs> there's uh, no middle. <laughs> yeah. There, and, no and, I, and I think that plays, a, that plays a factor in alienating a lot of our own people is because... Oh, for sure. Like, because, like all the time. Yeah, because obviously you grew up, alhamdulillah, you ended up becoming alim. I grew up and I've spent most of my most of my days with ulama. You know, alhamdulillah, we've had uh, Sheikh Sayyid Ahmed Balanpuri come here. We've had Mufti Naeem Saab, Sheikh Zayed Rashdi. So many ulama come to our small town. So oh, we've wow. had the opportunity to spend time with them. And uh, Sheikh Sayyid Ahmed Balanpuri just came three years ago. And I, I got to sit with him for a little bit and learn so much from him. So, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people, they don't understand these spaces. And they don't get an opportunity to sit with these ulama on such a, you know, 
open basis, like to be able to sit face to face with them. And then, you know, that's where ulama like yourself and other ulama come in who are younger, who are able to associate and understand the struggles, who, you know, obviously then, then the thing is to bring people in so but, they can but, meet with you. But that's what I feel like. Uh, I think everyone, and if any, anyone listening to this, I would recommend them as well, is that everyone needs to understand that internet Islam is a supplement. It's something yeah. you do. Like, like I've seen this in myself as well, right? Like, it's like, I've realized that people and in, in psychology, they, they talk about two types of learning. One is peripheral learning. And I think one's known as like central learning or something. And peripheral learning is when you're not just paying attention. It's like when you're watching a commercial, right? They're not going to try to sell you something on a commercial most of the time by giving you a list of like this, 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 this is why you should buy it. It's more just, they're just hinting you, you're pushing in the right direction, stuff like that. So when it comes to online, no one's trying to read and, and get a detailed understanding of something. It's more like they're browsing through a page and they're like, okay, I agree with this, I disagree with that. And what I realized is that people need to realize that Twitter and all these other online platforms, they should become bridges to bring people into a more um, direct thing, like classrooms. I think yeah. classrooms are very, very important, even if they're online, as long as they're live with the instructor. Um, I think classrooms are so important. You need to have conversation with people. And a lot of times in a small conversation, you can dismiss so so much doubt that and struggles that people are going through because they've never had that. So I would advise everyone to seek out people uh, like that, um, in person, ideally, but if not, then at least online. And, uh, if anyone's struggling with faith, make sure you don't leave the faith just because you yeah. never spoke to someone yeah. when you could have. Um, and I feel like even when you're in a, in a environment, you tend to have less doubt than when you're not in an environment. So that environment thing is, is just very important. And, um, but I, I feel like we're stretching on a little bit for kind of just for the sake of it. No, no, no. Um, I was just, I was about to say, let's, uh, we're, we're at the end now. It's just, you know, I was just wanting to have a little bit of discussion on the environment factor. No, no, oh. we can have as much discussion as you want. It's not no, no, bad. I think, I think we've come to the point where we should end it. <laughs> uh, but what's it called? But no, obviously at the end of the day, um, environment is the most important thing you can give yourself to save yourself from ending up in any bad or any sin. If yep. that environment is there, it will prevent you from getting involved and indulged in it. And sure. and if you end up, you know, sitting in the company of ulama, even it doesn't matter who the alim is, especially if you end up in the company, if you're in the GTA area of Sheikh Abdullah, it would be even better for you, you know, in person rather than on Twitter. Um, for sure. But for Sheikh sure. Abdullah won't ha is working at three different places and he's probably not going to sit with you. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. You can watch him at least from a distance. No, well, no, no. I mean, alhamdulillah, I do have in-person classes and, okay. and I, I would love to work with people. It's just, we have to understand that everyone is, at least in the GTA, everyone's like just busy, really yeah. hard. Run, run, it's run. It's really difficult, but it definitely is needed. Yeah, and, yeah obviously. And, and I wouldn't want to undersell that. Like just because it's difficult doesn't mean we don't make the journey and we don't try. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if even if you can't give time, you can lead somebody to somebody else. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, but what's it called? But no, Jazakallah khair for your time, Sheikh. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I know you stay busy teaching online in person and, you know, just traveling from one place to the other place in the GTA. It takes about 25 minutes to 30 minutes for a five-minute journey. Um, I teach two classes in Brampton. So it's oh, you like, do? Okay. So that's like an hour journey. Not yeah, a yeah, yeah. Acha, so you're, you're all over the place then. 
You're, so you oh, got, yeah. so you see Bilal then? Oh yeah, yeah, I know Bilal. Yeah, yeah. No, you're no, I think about... you see him because he's in Brampton. Yeah, yeah, I know Bilal. You talking yeah. about Bilal? Uh, Hafiz. Fitness. Yeah, Bilal strong, Fitness. stronger with Bilal. Exactly. I've done his program where I know him. Oh before. really? Yes. You've done the program. My wife it... and I have both done his program. Oh, mashallah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's a good program, alhamdulillah. Okay, alhamdulillah. So there you go. You also have a testimonial from the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. That it's no, a good no. program. I, I think it's a great program. I think I think everyone should try it. Okay, so if you want to take some classes, go on to lobabacademy.com. If you want to buy a book, I think you guys have the book available on the website. It's, I mean, it just it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Amazon. But like, stuff, link. Um, you know, check it out. Just, just search applying stuff on Amazon. Any Amazon, UK, America, Canada. Yeah. You name it, it's there, inshallah. I think it's a good book. Or you can get Ramadan with the Prophet, which is because Ramadan's about to come. Yeah. But Jazakallah uh, Khairan, I think this is really fun. No, no, Jazakallah Khair for joining me. And uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, inshallah, look forward to having you on again in the future. Inshallah. Okay. Assalamu alaikum.